Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be discussing the murder of two young girls. Some of the details may be disturbing to some listeners. Anyone discussed in this chapter is considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This will be the only warning. Before we continue, um, I thought we were going to get to the crime scene in the last part, but I think it's safe to say we're going to get to it in this part. Um, before, before we reach that part, I would personally like to ask everyone to keep the families in your best thoughts. We can only assume that they didn't know about some of this stuff. Um, they probably haven't seen crimes, seen photos or anything. Right. Or known some of these details. And my heart absolutely breaks for them that they're consistently being put through the ringer. And it's, like I said, now we're going on seven years. My nerves are shaken. And they're... I can only imagine how they feel. Abby and Libby should be in college. Kelsey had a little baby. There's so many things that the girls are missing out on and that the families are missing having them. So keep the families in your thoughts. And we're doing this with the utmost respect for the families. And I, I feel terrible that we're actually... Stuff like this needs a limelight. It does. It absolutely needs a limelight. And that's why we're doing it. And I just, I'm not here to offend the family or or bring up painful I know that our listeners probably listen to a plethora of other podcasts and platforms too, but I'm not trying to be insensitive and I just want everybody to know that I have the deepest respect and sympathy for Abby and Libby's families and I hope that they're doing okay through all of this. So, okay, picking right back up, Liggett concealed certain witness testimony and falsified other witness testimony in order to prevent Liggett's bogus timeline from being exposed to Judge Diener. Now, the reason why I wanted to stop last part and pick up there is because they underlined this. Mm-hmm. They chose, like, they just decided to underline it. Because this here is the basis for them Everything. filing to have that search warrant thrown out Mm -hmm. because Liggett who applied for the search warrant they're saying straight up he lied and this is how he lied we're about to get into it yeah and like they're they're going as far as saying certain witness testimony and also falsified other witness um and i mean if this is true the stuff in that search warrant application was completely falsified yeah from the description of what was seen by eyewitnesses to times. Let's go. Beyond the shocking omissions concerning the pagan cults, links to the murders, and the fact that Odinus were also watching Richard Allen, akin to foxes watching the hen house. Why did they why did they put that in there? Are they Just saying that to... Odinus were foxes watching him in a hen house because he was trapped kind of yep. thing? Okay. The evidence will show that Liggett's affidavit for search warrant is also filled with lies and other concealed information concerning witness testimony. This false and concealed information completely eviscerates the state's timeline. The evidence will show that Tony Liggett knew of the major problems that these witnesses' testimony created and Liggett chose to solve his problems by concealing this information and even falsifying other information in order to bolster the state's bogus timeline. Now, do I need to read what, like, like that end piece? No. Probably not, right? Okay. No, because they just go on to explain, like... Robinson and Jones. Just so you know that we were really... It was a painful decision to keep the Odinist aspect away from Rick Allen but we thought it would keep him safe if he didn't know and I think that they were actually right correct in doing so the evidence will show that Liggett concealed facts 
concerning descriptions that key witness Betsy Blair made directly to Liggett face-to-face in 2019 concerning, one, the person that she, Betsy Blair, observed on the bridge, and two, a vehicle that she, Betsy Blair, observed at the CPS parking lot at around 2.15 p.m. For Liggett's timeline to work and to place Richard Allen on the Monon High Bridge at 2.13, the time of the famous Down the Hill video, Liggett desperately needed Betsy Blair to describe a man on the bridge that looked like Richard Allen. And furthermore, desperately needed Betsy Blair to describe a car that she observed parked at the CPS parking lot at approximately 2.15 p.m. as looking like Richard Allen's black Ford Focus. Suffice it to say, the evidence will show that Liggett concealed from Judge Diener that Betsy Blair described a man on the bridge that looked nothing like Richard Allen and described a car at the CPS lot that looked nothing like Richard Allen's car, both in color and design. The evidence will show that Betsy provided these timeline-defeating descriptions directly to Liggett face-to-face two times in 2019. Ooh, and then in italics it says, Yet Liggett failed to inform Judge Diener of these descriptions as well as inform Diener of the fatal flaws that these missing descriptions created for the timeline. The evidence will also show that Liggett just flat out lied about what he claimed Sarah Carbo? Carbo. Sure. Told him in 2017 concerning a man walking down the road near the murder scene. For Liggett's timeline to work, Liggett needed Sarah Carb. I'm going to call her Sarah. I'm so sorry, Sarah. I don't know how to say your last name. Uh, needed Sarah to describe a man walking down the road wearing a blue jacket who had blood covering his clothing. And very important to note that the word blue and the word blood are in italics, uh, meaning they needed to make sure that she wasn't just saying that he was wearing a jacket. It was a blue jacket and it had blood um, all over the clothes or whatever. However, in 2017, Sarah did not say these things. This did not prevent Liggett from affirming under oath that Sarah did say those things. In fact, what Sarah actually told Liggett in 2017 was that she observed a man walking down the road wearing a tan coat whose clothes were muddy. Oh, and there was like debate over like the blood and the mud and Mm -hmm. nowhere did Sarah claim in 2017 that the man she observed was wearing a blue coat. Nowhere did Sarah claim in 2017 that the man she observed was wearing bloody clothes. Nowhere. This truth about what Sarah actually told Liggett in 2017 blows up Liggett's timeline, which is the likely reason Liggett failed to include this information in his affidavit. Additional evidence will be presented in the body of this memorandum. The defense believes that the evidence strongly supports the contention that Liggett intentionally concealed evidence from Judge Diener and lied about other evidence to Judge Diener in his affidavit for search warrant. However, even if Liggett did not intentionally conceal evidence from the judge or did not intentionally place false information into the search warrant affidavit, at a minimum, Liggett behaved recklessly when he prepared the affidavit omitting those facts from Judge Diener and providing false information in the affidavit. As stated in the motion accompanying this brief, the defense must show that Liggett either intentionally or recklessly omitted facts from the affidavit or provided false statements in the affidavit. Evidence supporting these facts were needles in a giant haystack of discovery. To conclude the introductory portion of this memorandum, the defense would tell the court that the evidence supporting the assertions contained throughout this memorandum was buried deep in a mountain of discovery, thousands upon thousands of pages of paperwork and hundreds of hours of videos, but not buried deep enough. The court will know that at the conclusion of this memorandum that the defense is not inventing, fabricating, or exaggerating these facts no matter how crazy those facts may appear. Richard Allen's defense team is attaching to this memorandum the supporting documentation that provides proof that these facts are true. 
So that was just the introduction to this memorandum. And all through there, they kept saying, um, we're going to prove it in the body of the memorandum. So now we get into the actual memorandum. In part one is a description of the crime scene. I am going to let Brie read that just because, like I said, I... And you're connected and you're emotional, that kind of stuff. Yes. Okay. You'll pick up part two? I'll pick up part two. Okay. And you're going to be reading part two, which will detail the evidence that connects the Odinites to the murders. Then maybe I'll pick up part three. Yes. The information that confirms that Tony Liggett concealed evidence in his search warrant. So they're going to go into more about that. And then you'll pick up part four. And that's going to be about the Odinite Corrections officers. And part five is going to be concerning how Richard Allen became a patsy in this investigation 26 days before an election. Let's get into it. Crime scene. Let's go. Are you ready? Like oh you are, God. you are gonna be. No, I'm, I'm shitting myself. <laughs> I shouldn't put that in there. I'm so scared. Like my nerves are shaking. You know what I mean? Like this is just such a crazy fucking thing for them to even. This morning at work, and I was reading this, and I was trying to work, and I was trying to read this, and I just, I got to this part, and I was like, okay, paycheck or not, work and wait. I have to read this, and then I have to get a hold of Bree, and then we have to, we have to, we have to, we we have to. Cover the phones, I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, I'm crying a little bit. Okay. Jesus. You You're can... doing the crime scene, or I am? I am. Yeah. I'm... Oh my gosh. Okay. I've read it twice, man. I don't want to read it again. <clears throat> I, w- I would like to hear it, please. Okay. Part one, the crime scene. When members of a search party found the girls in the late morning of February 14th, 2017, Abby and Libby had been missing for approximately 22 hours. The scene was ghoulish. Libby was found at the base of a tree with four tree branches of varying sizes intentionally placed in a very specific and arranged pattern on her naked body. Libby was positioned flat on her back with her left arm stretched over her head, touching the base of the large tree. Libby's right hand was covered in blood. Libby's left hand was covered in blood. Blood spots and blood drippings were seen all over Libby's body from head to toe. Libby's right arm was placed along the side of her body. One large tree branch had been placed on her left shoulder. This branch was so long that it extended above Libby's head several feet and below her legs for several feet as well. Two smaller branches formed a V where her legs joined her body near her genitalia, with both sides of the V extending upward toward Libby's head, with one branch extending to the left of Libby's head and the other to the right of Libby's head. The last of the four branches extended across Libby's body on a line from her right shoulder to her left shoulder. This fourth tree branch also connected with the other three branches and was placed under both branches that formed the V. Libby's sliced neck was partially covered by this fourth branch. There appeared to be no blood sprayed or dripped onto the leaves or the tree near Libby's head and sliced neck. It appeared likely that Libby had been killed at a nearby tree and then dragged to her final resting place where she was then positioned before having the tree limbs placed on her in a very specific pattern. The murderers treated Abby very differently. And Abby was the one dating Logan. Abby was found just a... You, you, should, you should say yes. Yes. They can't see you. (laughs) Um, Abby was found just a few feet away from Libby. So, okay, before I continue, there was a photo circulating. Do we believe that was real? A crime scene photo. Are you talking about the one that showed Libby? The one that um, my sister could not make out. The one that I sent? Yes. I do not think so. Hmm. Just because in that picture, it kind of depicted Libby as propped up against a tree. 
and you're right and like covered in leaves kind of in certain spots Mm -hmm. okay i get it however anything's possible depending on how you look at it and the injuries match the description yeah i understood that that's why i asked that's what made me think of it however Uh, it's possible that you just you can't really see it being and in that picture too it it looked to me as though libby's leg was draped over abby's yeah whereas this is like they were separate and they were posed so specifically that makes me think that it wasn't real right but so disturbing if somebody photoshopped that and like they knew that they're Next makes me switch? wonder if it was somebody and from the Odinism. How did how would they know that Libby was naked and Abby was dressed? If they I were mean, from Odinism and they were aware mm-hmm. is the only thing I could think of. Um, so again, the murderers treated Abby very differently. Abby was found just a few feet away from Libby. Her body was not placed parallel to Libby, but rather at an angle with Abby's legs just a few feet from Libby's legs. However, both of their heads were found a few feet further apart from each other. Significant differences existed between how Libby's body was found and how Abby's body was found. Abby was not found at the base of a tree. So maybe that is kind of pointing towards Libby was propped up. No, it says that Libby was on her back with her arm, her left arm up and her her left hand was just like right at the base of the tree. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Abby was fully clothed. In fact, Abby was dressed in Libby's sweatshirt and jeans. No blood appeared on Abby's clothing, meaning that she was likely murdered while naked and then dressed by the murderers after she expired and after the blood had stopped spilling from her neck. This is odd. Abby's hands were clean, no blood. Abby's feet were clean, no blood. Other than blood found around Abby's neck area where the murderers had inflicted the fatal wound, very little, if any, blood was found anywhere else on Abby's body or clothing. The juxtaposition of the spots and streaks of blood found all over Libby's body with the lack of blood on Abby's body slash undergarments slash overgarments is stark. The murderers appeared to have gone to great lengths to keep Abby's body and clothing clean from blood. Abby was found on her back like Libby. However, unlike Libby, Abby's elbows were bent with her right and left arms both placed on her chest. Abby's left hand and arm near the left side of her face and her right hand and arm near the right side of her face. Also, Abby's left leg was straight while her right leg was bent at the knee. The murderers also placed her bent right leg under her left leg. Like Libby, Those involved in the murder had placed tree branches in a very specific pattern on top of Abby. The pattern looks very similar to an asterisk consisting of three tree branches all joined in the middle. At least one of the tree branches appears to have been cleanly cut by some instrument, like an electric saw, rather than split or broken by hand, indicating that this was a preconceived plan. Above Abby's head were smaller sticks that had been placed over her hair, crudely mimicking horns or antlers. The amount of blood that would be perhaps expected at the crime scene based upon the location of the injuries of both girls was not visible in the crime scene photos. That's weird. And they never found a location where all the blood would be to take photos? They did. Okay. The defense has provided the court with 12 crime scene and autopsy photographs marked as exhibits 5 to 16 as confidential. These photographs support the descriptions provided in the previous paragraphs. In addition to the unusual way the girls were posed, including the stick formations placed on their bodies, another unusual marking was found on a nearby tree. 
A symbol that looked similar to the letter F appeared approximately four feet above the base of the tree. The F was red in color and later DNA testing showed that the F had been painted on the tree using Libby's blood as the so-called paint. Additional blood spatter was found at the base of the same tree. All the blood at the base of the tree appears to have been Libby's blood as well. The defense has also provided the court with Exhibit 17, DNA documentation supporting the fact that Libby's blood was the source of the F painted on the tree. Said exhibit is marked as confidential. The defense has also provided two photos of this F found on the nearby tree, here and after called the F tree. Exhibits 18 and 19 marked as confidential. Defense is also providing a photo of the F tree from a wider angle for the court to have perspective as to where the F tree is located relative to the bodies. That confidential photo has been marked as Exhibit 20. Under Abby's left lower back, a shoe was found. The shoe is believed to be Libby's shoe. Under the shoe, a cell phone was found. The cell phone was later determined to be Libby's phone. This information was confirmed by the recent deposition testimony of Liggett, Lesenby, and Holman. According to recent desp- Despacito. According to recent deposition taken of Sheriff Liggett, the famous video of the person that many people call Bridge Guy was found on this phone. Additionally, allegedly found between the two girls buried under the leaves and dirt was a single bullet. The defense has provided two photos of the shoe and cell phone found under Abby's legs and marked them as exhibits 21 and 22 and have been filed confidentially. Also, the defense has provided three photos of a bullet purportedly found in the ground between Abby and Libby and marked these photos as exhibits 23, 24, and 25. It should be noted that as of the date of this memo, the defense has no photograph of the bullet allegedly found between the girls after it was removed from the ground. No photo or video, for example, shows the bullet as it was being pulled out of the ground. No photo or video of the bullet immediately after it was pulled from the ground. No video or photograph of all sides of the bullet immediately after it was pulled from the ground. No photographs of the bullet next to a measuring device to show its length. And no photos that show what the bullet looked like once it was pulled out of the ground could provide proof that it is the same bullet that ended up in the evidence locker room. So they're kind of suggesting that maybe they switched out a bullet. Hmm. But to me, I mean, I'd just like to say to me, if they were framing Rick Allen, it wouldn't just be by way of bullet. I mean, if they were literally trying to frame him, they would have, they would have had DNA. I almost feel like, like maybe the bullet was there. Like maybe he like had shot something around that area, like whatever. I still think it's possible that Libby, he dropped the bullet on the trail and Libby found it and picked it up and then it fell out of her pocket when she was being murdered. Like, Like that's not evidence that he did it. I I never thought so. I thought it was pretty freaking weak. Like, it'd be different if they were shot. Totally different. Like, what the fuck? Or if the bullet was a spent casing, but it wasn't. It was just a bullet. bullet. And we didn't know if they were shot. Correct. So, before this, we literally were like, well, like, the police must be policing, so they were probably shot or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then that's why this bullet is, like, this huge thing. That is what you call... Their injuries where their necks were... I believe that would be called circumstantial evidence. I believe so, 100%. Yeah. Weak. Weak. Weak evidence. (laughs) In other words, the only photos that the defense has found in the discovery it has received are of the bullet still buried in the ground. At this time, the defense has no idea if A, photos of the bullet after it was removed from the ground even exist, or two, the photos exist but the state has not yet turned those important photos over to the defense, or three, the defense has missed these photos in the voluminous discovery. Either way, the defense has asked the prosecutor to please locate these photographs. One man alone 
completed all these tasks in less than one hour and 17 minutes. So like this part is bolded with a question mark. So it says one man alone completed all these tasks in less than one hour and 17 minutes. Liggett says one thing publicly, but another thing privately to his law enforcement friends. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Publicly, Liggett has claimed under oath that one single solitary person was responsible for abducting and murdering the girls, Richard Allen. Claiming publicly that Richard Allen acted alone would allow Liggett to continue proclaiming that the murders were not the result of the coordinated abduction and subsequent ritualistic sacrifice at the hands of a pagan religious cult. No, if Liggett continues trying to convince everyone publicly that one man and one man alone, Richard Allen, performed all the tasks, then Liggett must convince others, including the public, to ignore the voluminous mountain of evidence that supports the coordinated efforts of multiple Odinites. However, you will learn later in this memorandum that Liggett's claim that one man acting alone, and certainly not an organized band of cultists, murdered those girls is actually not something that he, Liggett, believes privately based upon one-on-one conversations with other law enforcement. Interesting. Still, to be fair to Liggett's public proclamation under oath, let's test Liggett's claim that one man, Richard Allen, acted alone by reviewing all the tasks that this five-foot, four-inch man would have had to accomplish in order to pull off the abduction ritualistic murder and then staged crime scene as it was found on February 14th, 2017. Damn, they going in. Was saying you did say the that. The five yeah. foot four little fuck of a man. So true. One, this one man would have to have been solely responsible for marching Abby and Libby down a steep hill. Two, this one man then would have had to march both girls through the woods for some distance. Three, At some point in time, this single, solitary man would have had to cross a cold river whose depth was nearly three and a half feet. At this depth, if the water were only two feet higher, Richard's whole body would have been completely immersed from head to toe. Four, with the cold river water rising well above his waist, this man acting alone has to worry about himself crossing the rushing river while also trying to corral two girls, keeping them from running or screaming, knowing the houses were not far away. Five, this man on his own would have had to then march the girls up to the site of the murders while all three because of the depth of the water, were wearing undergarments, pants, shirts, jackets, socks, and shoes that were drenched with water from the river crossing. Six, once he and the girls arrived at the murder scene, this single, solitary person then somehow would have had to subdue either Abby or Libby in rope or some other restraining device in order to have the ability to kill the unsubdued child without fear that the other child would run away or scream. 7. Because of the lack of blood on the girl's clothing, each child would have had to have been completely disrobed before the single, solitary man sliced his first victim's neck so the man acting alone either asked each child to disrobe or he assisted in the disrobing. 8. Trooper Jerry Holman of the Unified Command has confirmed that both girls were naked at one point in time as Liberty was found at the crime scene completely naked while evidence showed that Abby at one point in time had her clothes off. Interesting. How would they know? Oh, maybe because the clothes were swapped? That would be they their evidence? They swapped. Keep Not reading. swapped. Okay, okay, okay. Nine. <laughs> Once the girls were disrobed and naked in the middle of the forest in the middle of the day in February, and once he had subdued one of the two girls to prevent her from running away, the man acting alone could finally kill the girls. 10. This man acting alone would have had to pull the ceremonial knife or whatever sharp instrument was used and and inflict fatal injuries to the neck of the first child, 
It is unknown which child perished first, while the second child watched, hopefully without screaming or becoming so hysterical that said child was uncontrollable. 11. The man acting alone would then walk over to the second child, who was somehow subdued and inflict the same fatal injuries to her neck. 12. The autopsy notes taken by Liggett reveal that the pathologist stated that because of the particular vein that was severed, Abby suffered a slow death. That is sad. To give Liggett as much... Sorry. That's sad. That is so fucking sad. It's just a baby, dude. 13. To give Liggett as much additional time needed to sell this preposterous story that one man committed all of these tasks in a short period of time, we will presume that this one man acting alone took Abby's life first and Libby's second, so that he, the lone killer, could efficiently handle all of the other tasks necessary while Abby suffered her slow death. 14. Additionally, even after Abby finally would have died, the man acting alone would have had to then wait enough time so that the blood escaping from Abby's neck would stop flowing, as there was little to no blood found on any of the clothing Abby was wearing other than around the neck area, both undergarments and outer garments, meaning that the single solitary man likely clothed Abby's dead body after the flow of blood ceased. Once this... Okay, before I move on to 15, I wonder, and I don't know if the defense is getting at this or not, Libby was the one, no, Abby was the one with clothes on? Yes. And Abby was dating Logan? Yes. Could that have been an act of remorse in some magnitude? Knew her more personally? I don't. Wanted to cover her body? I don't think so. I think it's more of... it's. Why cover one up and not the other? Why go through the extra effort? Abby was... And we find this out. Abby was wearing both Libby's girls' clothes. clothes. Yeah. And her own. And her own. Okay. Two bras. Really? Two shirts. Libby's pants. Hmm. Something has to be ritualistic. Okay. It's bizarre. I'll keep going. Fifteen. Once this man acting alone inflicted the injuries to Abby's neck and she was dying a slow death, he would have left Abby on the ground somewhere away from where she was ultimately laid to rest as there was little blood at the scene where she was laid to rest and posed and where the man acting alone placed sticks on her body. 16. While waiting for Abby to die her slow death, the man acting alone would have then used his ceremonial knife or whatever sharp object he used to inflict Libby's fatal injuries at the base of the F tree where Libby's blood was found. 17. While 1. Waiting for Abby to die her slow death and then 2. While waiting for the blood to stop escaping from Abby's fatal injuries, this man acting alone would then grab Libby's body from the F tree where she was probably killed, dragging her to her final resting place at the base of the tree where she was found. 18. While waiting for 1. Abby to die her slow death and 2. Then waiting for the blood to stop draining from Abby's neck, this man acting alone then would have had to pose and position Libby's dead body in the manner in which her dead body was found at the scene. 19. While waiting for 1. Abby to die her slow death and then... and... 2. Then waiting for the blood to stop draining from Abby's neck, this man, acting alone, then would select a variety of tree branches and sticks with the ultimate purpose of placing them on Libby's dead body. 20. After selecting the branches and sticks, this man, acting alone, would then gather those sticks and branches. 21. After gathering the selected branches and sticks, the man acting alone would have to carefully arrange the sticks in the pattern found at the crime scene. A. This man acting alone would have to take the largest and longest of the branches and use his dexterity to lift that large branch over Libby's left shoulder next to her head. B. Next, the man acting alone would have had to have taken a smaller stick and placed it under Libby's neck on a straight line from Libby's right shoulder to her left shoulder, but over the previously laid out large branch that the man acting alone had placed over Libby's left shoulder, described in 14a. C. 
Next, the man would have had to grab one of the longer sticks and place it on Libby's right thigh near her genitalia. The stick would then be placed alongside the right side of Libby toward her head, but over the shorter stick discussed in 14C above. This stick, starting near Libby's genitalia, would form the right half of the V along with the stick discussed in 14D. D. Next, in order to form what can be described as a V, the man acting alone would take another stick, place it on Libby's left thigh near her genitals, and connect it with the stick described in 14C to form the base of the V. Then this man would run that stick essentially along the left side of Libby's body, over the large tree branch that is mentioned in 14a. This stick placed on Libby's left thigh would also connect with, and in fact may even be attached to, as the photo makes it hard to tell, the stick described in 14b. 22. At some point in time, once the blood draining from Abby's neck had stopped, the man acting alone would then have to gather the discarded clothing from both girls. 23. This man would then have had to redress Abby's dead body, starting with the undergarments Abby was wearing, without leaving any blood, his, Abby's, or Libby's, on the undergarments except around the neck area where Abby had been mortally wounded. 24. This man acting alone would have had to use his dexterity to lift Abby's dead body in order to maneuver the first bra onto Abby's dead body. 25. This man acting alone would then have to use his dexterity to lift Abby's body in order to maneuver the first bra under her back. 26. This man acting alone then would have had to use his dexterity to secure this black bra onto Abby. 27. This man acting alone would then have to locate the second bra that Abby was wearing. 28. This man, acting alone, would then again have to use his dexterity to lift Abby's dead body in order to maneuver the second bra onto Abby's dead body. Once both bras were secured onto Abby's dead body, this man, acting alone, would have had to locate the pink shirt that Abby was wearing underneath the sweatshirt. Numbers 31 to 55 are all describing how one man alone would have had to move Abby's dead body to put all of these clothes on her over another layer of clothes. Actually, this is even past number 58. He would then have to locate Abby's Converse tennis shoes. It's just very specific going through how one man would have had to do all of this um, like leg work and just the the amount of effort that it would take to you know get the shoe and put the shoe on Abby's right foot then get the other shoe put it on the left foot um so kind of just skipping over to 62 it says once the man acting alone had placed both shoes on Abby's feet he would have had to locate the right twigs slash sticks that could be fashioned into antlers or horns 63. Once those sticks slash twigs were found, then the man acting alone would have had to lay the twigs slash sticks over Abby's hair so that they cross and crudely resemble antlers. 64. Since there appeared to be no blood on Abby's tennis shoes and other clothing other than around the neck area, this man acting alone must have been extremely careful to avoid any of the blood that came out of Abby's neck as well as Libby's neck. So he's saying, or they're saying that no blood got on the one man doing all of this somehow and he didn't like touch mm-hmm. at any point and transfer blood anywhere. Right. Yeah, right. Right. So I get what they're, I get what they're laying out here. 65. Because the river is very close to the murder scene, the man acting alone could have also walked to the river following the cutting of the girl's necks in order to wash and clean the blood from his hands before touching Abby's naked body and before placing the clothing back on Abby's naked body. 66. 
Another possible explanation as to how Abby had no visible blood on her body or clothes other than near the site of the wound is that the man acting alone had hanged Abby on a tree, stringing her up by her feet. Like, like draining you would her. With a, de- a deer. Yeah, I get it. But then, like, her hair would have been saturated. If you can get a visual of yeah, that. Yeah, no, yeah, I get it. This method can. Consistent with pagan sacrificial rituals found on Brad Holder's Facebook page would allow the blood to drip out of Abby's neck more quickly and would also prevent the blood from desecrating Abby's body, especially if the man acting alone was able to hold Abby's arms away from her body as the blood spilled out of her neck. 67. Once this man acting alone had successfully completed the task of locating and putting on Abby's tennis shoes, then he would have to identify certain sticks that he would use to place on Abby's body. 68. Now, because at least one of the branches appeared to have been a clean cut end, this man acting alone either A. Brought out his saw, a saw that he had either stashed at the murder scene ahead of time or had carried on his person as he walked on the bridge and then use the saw to cleanly cut the end of at least one of the branches or B located the branch with the clean cut end that he, the man acting alone, had either stashed ahead of time at the murder site or that he had carried with him on his person while walking the high bridge before abducting the girls or the man acting alone just so happened to have found a branch with a clean cut end on the ground in the woods. I think I will skip a couple here as it is going over how the man would have had to stage the girl's bodies um, very specifically and then also place branches, large branches, sticks across Abby's body uh, very specifically. Can I just add something here? Of course. Are you... Are you going past 73? Okay. Do you want to discuss that? I I want to say that throughout this filing, throughout this document, Mm -hmm. there are footnotes. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of the footnotes is explaining some of the things within the memorandum. And we've included them just kind of in the context of what we're reading without actually reading the footnotes. At this point, I would like to read this footnote. Um, to explain something that I think is extraordinarily important and very disturbing. Oh, is it the one right? Yeah. So, that is pretty fucked. Right. Later in this brief, you will see a Facebook post in which a few weeks before the murders, a man that looks like Patrick Westfall is using an electric saw to cut a tree branch. Brad Holder then leaves a comment that says, Cutting runes. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Bold, bold, bold. Bold, bold, bold. That is... Fucked. It's looking, it's looking, it's looking bad. It is looking bad. So, again, it goes over specifically how this one man would have had to maneuver Abby's body and do all of this by themselves. Um... 77, once the man acting alone was through placing the stick described in paragraph 75, he finally would have laid the last stick on a line along the left side of Abby's body toward the middle of her head with all three sticks intersecting at the same exact location on the left side of Abby's body. Once the man acting alone had finished placing the sticks and branches on Abby's body in the specific way that he desired, he would then have to place the ruin on the tree where Libby had likely been slayed. 79. The man acting alone would have had to have taken some of the spilled blood from Libby and dipped his finger or some other type of object into Libby's blood and... That is when he would have walked toward the tree where Libby had been slayed and the one man acting alone would have painted a line maybe a foot long straight down the tree trunk above four feet above the ground. 82. Once the straight line would have been painted using Libby's blood, the man acting alone may have had to walk back to Libby's body to dip his finger into Libby's neck or 
to dip whatever tool he used into Libby's neck wound in order to have enough blood to finish the ruin uh, that he was painting on the tree. So again, they painted something along the line of an F, and that's why it's called the F tree. In Libby's blood. Yeah. So skipping ahead again, 86, once the man acting alone gathered the remaining clothing items, he would leave the immediate area around the crime scene and walk to the river. 87, once the man acting alone reached the river, he would toss these clothing items into the river. Which I'd just like to say, um, the only thing that we know for sure that was missing was a sock. Shoe. A shoe. Mm-hmm. And Abby's jeans. He wouldn't have been able to put two pairs of shoes on her. So that makes sense as to why like the shoe was found later. The shoe was found later, right? We know that... I can't even say we know. Libby's shoes... Okay. So we know that one of Libby's shoes was found on the opposite side of the creek. Right? During the search. So did they put... Abby's shoes shoe, back on her? Abby's shoes. With the white laces? Were put back on Abby. Libby was completely naked. Libby's first shoe was found on the opposite side of the creek as though it fell off as she was running or going into the water before she was killed. Her other shoe, this document says, was found underneath Abby's body. So there's Libby's two shoes. And then Abby's shoes were placed back on Abby's dead body. Mm-hmm. We can assume that Abby was also wearing at least two socks because there's no mention that a sock was found at the scene, but we know it's been released that one sock was missing. So possibly Abby had three socks on and one was missing, one was taken from the scene. Because that still to this day has never been found. You know, and they're saying that there wasn't enough blood. Like, like you know, like that doesn't make sense. That's kind of what the defense is like outlining here. And it, it, they say like they, they would have had to walk back over to Libby's body and dip a tool or their finger into her neck for blood. It makes me wonder if they did string them up to bleed them out you would and think I wonder that they, they would have some kind of ligature marks on their legs though and one single person would not be able to do that I don't care no I agree but mm-hmm. that's what the defense is outlining here there is that possibility that if that was a thing where's all the blood what if they collected the blood that's I think what that, I'm saying I think that they found a large pooling and blood spatter near the F tree Um, where Libby was her throat and that blood was Libby's so I think they're saying that this is where they think Libby sustained her injury and once she was dead she was dragged over to the other tree and so the murderer was using a cloth or something or maybe the sock that's missing that he would dip in the wound and go and do this F ruin yeah this is a tool or finger I don't think that they'd be dumb enough to use a sock because they wouldn't want to. Like, I don't know. This goes into saying, like, you know, 89, once the man acting alone made sure that he left nothing behind, including his DNA, hair, fingerprints, shoe prints, the man would be able to leave. But not until, you know, ditching those clothes in the river and then also heading his way back probably to the crime scene to make sure that nothing was left behind at all because the crime scene was miraculously fucking just DNA free. Mm-hmm. So there is a 91 and 92 and I will read those. 91, although this man acting alone was somehow smart enough to keep his DNA, fingerprints, footprints, hair, and other evidence out of the crime scene, this man acting alone was apparently dumb enough to decide to walk down 300 north in the middle of the day headed west easily visible to the public and easily visible to anyone driving a vehicle on 300 north like Sarah Carbar. Uh, however you pronounce her last name. 
1892, once the man acting alone was able to make his way onto 300 North to walk down the road in broad daylight, open to the public, rather than in the woods under cover, this man then walked some distance westbound on 300 North before allegedly being spotted by Sarah at 3.57 p.m. That's a tight timeline to fit all of that. So one man, four foot... Nope, that would be silly. One man, five foot four inches in stature, handled all these tasks. From the abduction at the high bridge to the crossing over the cold flowing river to the subduing of one girl while the other is killed to the killing of the second girl, waiting while Abby died a slow death, then clothing Abby with very little to any blood transfer on said clothing to the arrangement of the sticks onto... to the arrangement of the sticks into runes, to the painting of the F rune on the tree, to the throwing of the clothing items into the river, to the departure from the crime scene, and finally to traversing hundreds of yards through the forest and then up a steep hill and then another hundred or more yards until finally reaching 300 north, all the while being so careful as to not leave any DNA or other forensic evidence behind. Were all these acts committed by one man acting alone? All these things occurred between 17 minutes and one hour and 17 minutes after the girls heard the phrase down the hill at approximately 2.13 p.m. Again, not plausible. At his August 8th, 2023 deposition, Sheriff Liggett was adamant that one person and one person alone, Richard Allen, was involved in the murder of Abby and Libby. However, off record, Liggett doesn't believe that one man was capable of pulling off all of those tasks, especially in such a short period of time, leaving behind a crime scene with no forensic evidence. As referred to earlier, Liggett says one thing publicly under oath, but a different thing off record to his buddies. This is interesting. What an interesting uh, tone. One of those buddies is former sheriff and now chief deputy sheriff, Tobe Lesenby. The day after Leggett's August 8th, 2023 deposition, Tobe Lesenby was subject to a deposition. When Tobe Lesenby was asked at his deposition how many people he believed were involved in the murder of Abby and Libby, Lesenby provided a different answer than Liggett. He indicated that at least two people were involved. The reasons Lesenby gave as to his belief that at least two people were involved in the murders was Lesenby's belief that it would be difficult for one individual to accomplish what occurred. When asked if any other law enforcement officers shared this perspective, Lesenby provided a surprising answer based upon what Liggett had testified to under oath the day before. Yes, at least one other law enforcement officer believed multiple people were involved in the murder of Abby and Libby, Tony Liggett. According to Lesenby's sworn statement, it was common for he and Tony Liggett to have one-on-one conversations and that Tony Liggett definitely believed that more than one person was involved. Liggett, who just the day before under oath claimed that only one person, Richard Allen, was involved in the murders privately behind the scenes was saying something altogether different in one-on-one conversations with his law enforcement friends. If a cult consisting of more than one person in a coordinated fashion lured the girls to the bridge, abducted the girls, and then collectively were able to perform all the tasks mentioned in the previous paragraphs, that perspective would cut against Liggett's sworn claim that the murderer acted alone. Conversely, even more problematic for Liggett is that stating under oath what he actually believes i.e. that more than one person was involved in the murders of Abby and Libby, would then (coughs) lend credence to the fact that the accumulation of evidence gathered by Murphy, Ferency, and Click strongly supports that on February 13th, 2017, several men from a pagan religious cult were involved. 
For some reason, Liggett is obviously not interested in wanting anyone, including Judge Diener, to know that the evidence strongly supports an organized pagan cult as being the killers. Therefore, sadly, it is not surprising that Liggett lied under oath when he claimed in his deposition that only one man, acting alone, murdered those girls. If Liggett had told Judge Diener that he believed that multiple people were involved in the crime, and if Liggett also provided Judge Diener with the massive amount of missing details of the Odinite involvement in the murders, including evidence of the Odinite's intimate knowledge of the crime scene, then there is no way Diener would have, or should have, signed the search warrant. This court will be considering whether Liggett intentionally or recklessly concealed information and intentionally fabricated facts in his affidavit for search warrant. Liggett's duplicity under oath about the number of people he felt were involved in the murders is just one of many reasons to support the belief that Liggett intentionally concealed evidence and fabricated other evidence in his sworn affidavit. It's very easy, uh, no, it's very interesting that they're focused on Liggett. Like, they're focused on him. Uh, that is definitely the end of part three, but we made it through that section, and that's pretty impressive. Like, this is going to be a multi-parter and I don't think that listeners should have to wait or anything like that I'm going to be knocking these out as quickly as I can but that's what podcasts are for so that you don't have to sit there Mm -hmm. and read this information you know we let us read it for you and let's talk about it and dissect what it means luckily this part was pretty self-explanatory in the wordings but I'm shaken I am shaken to my core. It's, uh, I mean, I don't even... I'm shooketh. I don't even know what else there is to say about this part. The crime scene was blown so far out of proportion. The possible injuries to the girls. All the stuff that we've been hearing that has really haunted me and stuck in my brain of possibilities out there. And to finally know how they died and have a picture of what that scene looked like is um haunting and disturbing so sad so disturbing and sad to know what they went through they are past and it's been years and i really hope that like you know they've found their peace and i think that you focus on their families and stuff like that like Mm. right now but right now i'm shaken for rick allen I, if this is true and this man is going through this right fucking now and he is going crazy in jail and being tormented and he is truly just an innocent pudgy man who had a wife who liked to drink beers in the pub with his friends and walk a fucking bridge, then this is absolutely heartbreaking and they need to fucking like dig in and get this shit figured out ASAP. If that is true, if he is innocent, holy crap. Holy my gosh. Oh my In Lord. my opinion, what needs to happen now, and I know that this is the court of public opinion, I get that. I mean, at the end of the day, it means nothing. But what the prosecution needs to do at this point is they need to release the evidence that they have against Rick Allen. And if there is no more, they need to release Rick Allen. They need to reconsider their decision to charge him with felony murder. Or, like, get the fucking trial to be moved up to, like, tomorrow. Like, we need clarification. We need... We need answers at this point. Like... I just don't understand why they wouldn't have more information in their arrest... That's my point, like, and that's why at the time I dug in so hard. And you were and so confused. You were like, "Is this really all they got? Is the, a fucking bullet?" Do they? And I, I asked lawyer friends, like, "Do they have to put all of their evidence in that affidavit?" And they mean, said, "Right, no. They put in what they want to, but typically speaking, they're going to put in the best. Yeah, they're going to put in the best evidence. And if the best evidence are eyewitness accounts, which are notoriously un un." Um, like you can't count on them 100% because people's memories change and they perceive things differently than the next person. So you've got eyewitness and then that bullet. 
if that's the best they got, I just, I wasn't convinced back then and I'm even less convinced now. Um, however, I still, I still do not have a problem saying that Rick Allen is bridge guy, but show me the connection. I am, I am done dealing with the finger pointing and with the coincidences that are never explained by law enforcement. Yeah. They think because they don't release information that it's our own problem, that we're just running with speculation. And to a point, it's fine until you see something like this where you can actually, you can almost taste the corruption here. I'm just, I struggle to see a reason. I struggle to see a purpose behind it. I have an interview tomorrow. How am I supposed to like think of what I need to be thinking of? Like my brain is going crazy, but this, this, this part is getting a little bit too long. We need to end it. Okay. We will pick up in part four with what is part two of what we're talking part about? Part two is the evidence that connects the Odonites to the murders. Okay. So we will see you in part four with that information. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind leaving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. Check out our Facebook at True Crime Story Podcast, and if you'd like to contact us, you may do so at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm Char. And we'll see you in part four. <laughs> Bye. Bye.